The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What do you do when you've done all you can do, but there's more that needs to be done? What do you do when you turn on the news or you read the news and you read, I mean, everything from local to national to global, and no matter what you do, you don't feel like it's enough? When you read about the opioid crisis or the drug epidemic in our nation, when you read about poverty or homelessness, and you've given all you can give, but you feel like it's not enough. Nothing I do, nothing I offer is sufficient. There's more that has to be done, and maybe we're all doing it, and no matter what we all do together, it's not enough. I I have to imagine you've come to a point or place in your life where you reached your limit, where you suddenly began to feel incredibly inadequate, especially when you look at the big things in the world around you. But maybe that really big thing just happened in your own home or your neighborhood or in your own workplace, or maybe it's in your community or it's in our city. And uh, I I read the news just like you do, and I know the news in in Hagerstown, I know the news in Chambersburg, I know the news in our states, and it can be overwhelming. And so what do you do when you've reached your limit? And this is, this one's hard to talk about. So I'm gonna just be, like, I I felt like as I was preparing for this message, I I wondered if I was gonna take a risk here. So I know what you're thinking. You're like, of course, Patrick, you share whatever. Yeah, but you're not the one up here. You're not the one on video. You know, your head's 20 feet tall and you got to be honest and vulnerable and everybody is looking at you. So I'm going to do it. Uh, this story, this, this is uh, from uh, our sabbatical, which we just got back from. And uh, it, it would probably one of my, I don't want to use the word embarrassing because that, that's too like, it, it, like, like I'm, I don't want to share just because like, I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, it's embarrassing. I, you know, something happened, but this was one of those more like really um, somewhere, I don't know if there's a line between like humbling and humiliating, but it was somewhere in there. And so I have been planning, we were planning, we knew that I was gonna go on sabbatical for about two years. I've been working on it, preparing it. And one of the things I really wanted to do was I wanted to go, we wanted to go out to, uh, west and I wanted to climb Half Dome. It's, uh, it's one of those pictures that you have on your desktop. You didn't even know what it was, but if you have a Mac and, and you just use one of like the desktop backgrounds, it's one of those like the really big mountains that looks ridiculous. And uh, so I did the research and you actually have to apply for a wilderness permit and a permit to climb the cables. So the last 300 uh, yards of the climb, so you climb over eight and a half miles straight up this mountain, uh, past huge waterfalls, and the very last part of it is 300 yards uh, a 45 degree angle where you hold on to cables and you literally have to just like, I don't know how you do, you just have to get up the cables. So you have to apply. So we actually got permits and two of my daughters, uh, actually all my daughters wanted to do it, but I convinced them that only two of them should do it with me. We had, uh, and we had um, my brother-in-law with me. So we had permits for everybody. We go and we started at 4.30 in the morning. We hiked all the way out there. I mean, did awesome. My girls are rock stars. I mean, they were climbing with us and, you know, 5 a.m. we're passing Vernal Falls, 600 steps, almost a foot per step. And in wet, we're soaking wet at 5 a.m. We got headlamps on and it, it was really a spectacular climb. And, and you're doing the whole time we're thinking about these cables we got to climb. And I have been planning this for a year. What they don't, what I don't talk a lot about and, um, is that I have this really, I actually have a pretty bad fear of heights. 
And so my fear of heights, the only reason why I do crazy things is because I let my fear of heights get overwhelmed by my sense of adventure. And so I do crazy things like climb big, huge mountains and stand on, I don't know, just do like things that scare me. And so I got my kids with me, we're climbing up, we get, we get all, so the long, like eight and a half miles up to Subdome, which is this kind of cliff edge that you can, it's like a, you criss, uh, switch backs up to the cables. But I, nobody told me about this part of the hike. I had no idea that there's like a cliff edge part of the hike before you get to the cables. And so we start going, so you know, they check your permit. They're like, all right, good, go for it. And I'm like, all right. And we start going and like every step, I'm getting more and more scared. And I got my kids with me. And all I can think is like, one of them's gonna go off or I'm gonna go off. And so here, here here's a picture. I'm pretty sure we have a picture uh, somewhere. So here we are. This is me, I think before we climb that thing. So this is Subdome right up to there. So we've already hiked at this point, eight and a half miles. And now all we gotta do is get up subdome to there and then climb, that's this little last little part is half dome. So we start climbing and I get up and I say, that's it, I'm done. I've been planning this for a year. And I told my, my two girls, I said, I, daddy can't do it. I've reached my limit. I'm I'm, I don't wanna stay on the cliff edges anymore. I don't want you staying on cliff edges anymore. And, and they looked at me like, what? And I, I told them, I, I can't do it. We have permits to go up the cables. And I, I said, I, like this, literally this last little part, I said, I can't do it. So we turned around. And one of my daughters almost in tears. And I said, I'm so sorry to disappoint you. And I will tell you, one of the hard, I've done a lot of hikes. This was one of the hardest hikes back home or back where we were staying because it's, almost, it's over eight and a half miles back. We worked all the way to get there. And I felt so human. And I felt exposed in front of my kids. Because I, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's ever anything I've done in life that I felt like I wasn't gonna push through and do. And this is probably the first time when my kids with me, like see me very human, where I'm like, that's my limit. That's as far as I can go. And only like a week before this, Rebecca and I climbed uh, a four, over a 14,000 foot mountain on, you know, not necessarily on cliff edges, but pretty crazy steep. And this was my limit and I had to turn around. And so on the way back, I'm just beating myself up and I'm like, kids, I'm so sorry. I've stolen, you know, my brother, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And they're like, no, we would have never even tried if it wasn't for you. So it doesn't even matter, it's okay. And I, but I, it didn't matter what they said. I was just beating myself up and I was just frustrated. And man, ever since then, I've just been thinking about like, you know, this feeling of feeling so human, feeling so vulnerable. And when you hit your limit and follow me here, please at each of our campuses, follow me. Cause I feel like that's not the first time. So many times when I've tried to lead our church, lead in a city to make a difference when it comes to addictions, make a difference when it comes to homelessness or you know, kids growing up in very broken homes where there's, uh, there isn't a stability. And so many times, what you don't know is that I feel like dad turning around on the cables and going, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. I can't push any further. And I feel incredibly human trying to lead us to tackle really big problems. And I don't really know what to do. And, and so sometimes I feel like just turning around and going home. And, and because I feel like so many things we're up against are so big and we're so inadequate and we're, we're we're so human. 
And, and so what do we have? What do we, what do we do? What do you do when the issues you're up against, when the addiction, when the sickness and diagnosis, when the financial crisis, when the, when the things that are going on in your mind are so out of control that you feel like you can't take control and you feel so inadequate to the challenge, when the emotions that are raging inside of you are bigger than you are, when the, when the things that you wish you could fix are really wrecking you and you're not fixing them? What, what do we do when we feel inadequate. And I, and I fear that so many times you and I are stuck like we're watching a, a, a sports game. We're cheering for one of our favorite teams. And usually, here's, what, here's what we do. It's like we're watching, but we're not making any difference. And we're left to cheer or cringe. And we do the same thing with news. Whether it's local or national or global, we cheer or we cringe, but we don't make any difference. And, and so what do you do when this is your life? You're left feeling inadequate. And, and so my challenge is, well, my frustration is, do we have anything that can stand up to that? Can stand the test of our own feelings of being ultra limited and feeling very human. And so I wanna, I wanna bring you back to an ancient time. This is the context of what the Bible is said. And so true history, where at least the, at the very best, my, this moment is gonna make you feel better. Because you're going to discover that people that love Jesus, people that knew Jesus, live with Jesus, uh, they were just like me. At the very least, they were very human. And they reached their limit very quickly. Uh, so the context of what I want to share with you is uh, this was the moment where Jesus is being arrested. And, you know, days before this, there was this guy, Peter. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to be your best friend no matter who abandons you. I'll fight for you. I'll kill for you. I'll die for you. I'll lie for you. Like Brian Adams, you know, if you ever heard that song. All right, whatever. Um, so uh, then Jesus comes and, he, and he's getting arrested and Peter pulls out a sword and he, he's fighting and he, he's just aimless and he hacks off the ear of one of these servant guys. Like he doesn't even really do a good job. And, and then this verse kind of captures the moment. It, this is from one of the eyewitnesses. It says, they all, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Well, Matthew is one of the disciples. Actually, this is one of those moments that really reveals that what you read in the Bible is true because eyewitnesses who wrote the account of the life of Jesus include things that embarrass them. Like, you, you're pretty sure that my story about Half Dome is true because who would lie about that? Like, you might lie saying you climbed it, but you're not gonna lie saying you got there and then the last 300 yards you didn't do. In fact, the whole time I say, I'm never gonna tell this story. This is the worst story ever. And now my second week back, I'm telling you this story. What is wrong with me? The point is this, this is actually one of those moments when you're like, this has to be true. Because what author who's an eyewitness to this moment would tell you that he deserted Jesus? And you're like, wow, uh, that's a remarkable vulnerability and honesty. So they desert Jesus, they flee, they run. And the next time you really see the disciples, because they abandon Jesus, Jesus is crucified. Now it's a couple days later and you, you have this moment uh, recorded by the author John, who's another one of the eyewitnesses. He says, on the evening of the first day of the week, so this is uh, Easter Sunday evening. And you guys, those of you that heard this sermon last week, you're like, wait, I already, you already read this passage. Okay, I'm taking this, I'm, I'm taking you a step further than I took you last week, but I have to set the context. So on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, okay, so now they're, they're clearly cowering in fear. They're scared out of their minds, right? So this is the context. These are the kind of people that you're dealing with when, you, when you're reading about guys like Matthew, Mark, John, Peter, James. The followers of Jesus were just like us. 
They get to the moment where, they have, where they've been preparing for this moment. They've climbed to this moment. They were with Jesus to this moment. And suddenly they get there and they go, uh, yeah, no. Time to turn back and go home. And this is what they're doing. They, they flee from Jesus. They abandon Jesus. They're hiding in fear because they feel like they're next. But something turns this story around. And, and, and here's what I really want you to catch. In this moment, they're praying. They're quoting their favorite Bible verses. They're singing together. They're singing hymns. They're doing church. Follow me. A bunch of people who believe in Jesus are praying, worshiping, quoting Bible verses, and spending time together. Isn't that kind of what church is? So they're doing church. They're just not living out what it means to follow Jesus. They're hiding from the world rather than making a difference in the world. The world has closed them in rather than them going out and changing the world. But it doesn't stop there. Something happens that radically turns this story around. Jesus shows up in this moment. He reveals himself as resurrected. And I spent some time in the last sermon talking about how the resurrection of Jesus is what changes everything about our life. It's not death that changes us. It's Jesus' life that changes us. But what's interesting is after Jesus died and rose again, the disciples did not go out and change the world. Jesus has, had resurrected in this moment and they knew it. So even though they knew Jesus had resurrected, they weren't taking that life and making a difference in the life around them. So what makes the change? Well, let's jump to Jesus. He, he, he's interacting with them and he's challenging them. And he says this, this is going back to the gospel of Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Hold up, I gotta pause there. Because this is one of like the really unique shifts as you read through the Bible. He goes, all authority and in heaven and in earth has been given to me, therefore you go. You meet somebody who's really wealthy and they say, I have so much money, I don't know what to do with it. Now you go buy stuff. Well, what good does your money do me? I'm the one that has to go shopping. Unless they give you their platinum credit card and they go, here, what I have, I'm giving you, now you go spend. Follow this. This is really an interesting shift. All authority in, hev in heaven and on earth. I have all control. And, I'm, and it's been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. The word disciple means followers of Jesus. You go out and make students of Jesus, followers of Jesus, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But don't stop there. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, look, all power, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and I'm going to be with you as you go. Well, right now, look around the room. You don't see Jesus in his robe. Uh, if you're joining us online, he, he's probably not sitting next to you at your computer. And even if you're at Chambersburg, which you guys are awesome. I know you think you have Jesus up there with you. Just saying, no, I'm kidding. Um, but it, it doesn't matter what campus you're at, you, you might feel like, man, there are moments when I feel Jesus, but look around. I mean, he's not physically sitting next to you. So how could he say, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So he had to mean something by that. And so here, here what we're going to do, we're going to jump ahead in this story. So what I've been reading for you is kind of setting the stage. Here are these moments where these really ordinary guys 
They feel ordinary because they are ordinary. They're frightened. They're cowering in fear. They meet Jesus and they still don't make a difference. They, they follow Jesus. They see Jesus resurrected from the dead. I mean, if, I would think that would make a difference for me. I mean, if Jesus rose from the dead, he was standing in front of me on Half Dome and said, Patrick, follow me. We're going to get up this mountain. I think I would follow him. I mean, I think if Jesus is physically with me, I'm going to be all right. Because even if I fall off, I feel like he'd go down there, touch me, and I'd come back to life, right? I, I feel like that's good. But Jesus says, and certainly or surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. But if you jump ahead, we're going we're gonna to jump to the time when Jesus is no longer with them. And, and so right at that moment, right before Jesus leaves, so Jesus is going to ascend to heaven. The story is written by a guy named Luke. Luke is an outsider. He's an outsider to Judaism. He's an outsider to Christianity. He's a physician, highly educated. He becomes curious about the story of Jesus because he meets people who know, who believe in Jesus. And he's so taken by the way they live that it's their life and it's their story and it's their passion that attracts him to what they have. And so he starts to investigate the story of Jesus so much so that he writes it out himself for others who are like him, outsiders to the face. And he wants to encourage them that this Jesus really is who he said he was. Then he writes a second volume called the book of Acts. And it's all about the follow, the way the followers of Jesus, the church lived after Jesus left. And so right at the moment when Jesus is about to leave, it's found in Acts. We're going to jump in Acts chapter one and it start, it reads this way. This is, so it's a moment right before Jesus leaves. He goes, then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, right? So Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and they're like, all right, now all the problems I see that leave me feeling very human, Jesus, are you gonna just win the day? Are you gonna right the wrongs and overcome injustice and heal the sick and give sight to the blind and you're gonna, you're gonna wipe out political injustice and you're gonna establish God's kingdom on earth, right? And wouldn't that be awesome? Everything you read on the news, that's a problem. Aren't we all just sitting back hoping that God just steps in and saves the day? And that's what they were doing. They were like, all right, God, now, now Jesus, are you ready? Like, is it going to happen now? And, and I, I don't want to say Jesus like face palm, you know. Like, oh. But I, he does say this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know when the end of time will come. It's not for you to sit around worrying about when God is going to right all of the wrongs and establish ultimate justice, send evil forever to hell, and establish his throne. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He goes, I don't want you sitting around waiting for God to change the world. God is calling you to be an agent of change. He goes, I don't want you sitting around waiting for the heavens to open and God to do a big thing. I want you to spend your time every day doing a whole bunch of little things through the strength of God. And so here's the point. Here's where I'm going with this. I've set it all up to get to this point. You and I are invited to live with, the un with unexplainable courage. Everything about what we do is so often so explainable because we're so human. We're so inadequate. Anybody can look at it and go, I know how you did that. I might not have done it that way, but I know how you did it. When, when we were on the mountain, there was people going up and there was people coming back down. We, we had a guy pass us. He was like, this is the first time I've ever hiked. 
he did it. He did the cables and came back down. And we thought, man, that kid's like superhuman, but he's not. There's hundreds of people that do this every day, just not me and my kids. But you, you see, like it's, 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 it's human, it's explainable. So how is it that we can possibly live with unexplainable courage? And here is the challenge. Whatever we do is entirely explainable and entirely inadequate and entirely human. Very often, any moments of courage we, we offer are very much like, our, like sticking our finger into a breaking dam, right? We get there and we go, oh no, the dam is collapsing. We stick our finger in and suddenly we're going, oh no, now what do I do? And it's not enough. And now you feel really human. And then you feel not only human, you feel like your courage is crazy because it is crazy. And it's never enough. Suddenly the dam begins to break on us. Why? Because we are ordinary and we are human. And the, the challenge of being human is the human condition. Let me explain quickly for you. The human condition is this, that you and I were born, not, we were born with a problem, the human problem, it's called sin. Sin is the root of all the symptoms. All the problems you see in the world around you is rooted in sin, sickness and disease, poverty, addictions, brokenness, brokenness in relationships, brokenness at work. It's all rooted in a spiritual problem, which is that you and I are separated from God, headed toward forever ruin. That's a big problem. That's a big dam crashing on every one of us. And no matter what, what finger you use, I didn't come out right, <laughs> to plug the hole, it's inadequate and it's gonna crash and it is crashing and it has crashed. And so what Jesus did was he intervened in our story in our sin problem by becoming one of us. Jesus took our human condition on himself. He became a human to rescue humans from the human condition of sin, death, and eternal judgment. So when Jesus died, he wasn't putting his finger in the hole of a dam. He literally re, he took down the dam and put his life in place of the dam of sin so that he absorbed the full break of the dam onto himself, drank the waters of our judgment so that there was no water left to be poured into our lives. So when he finished drinking it, he said, it's finished, sin is paid for, the death has died through my death, eternal judgment has been fully absorbed, I drank it all, so, there's, so that there's no one who would ever have to face their own eternal judgment if they believe in me by faith. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven and you are given new life. God removes the shame and guilt, he removes the sin, and then he gives you new life so that you begin to live this true and eternal life. That's what I talked, that little piece right there is what I talked about last week, but I, I wanna make sure you don't miss this next thing, right? He doesn't stop there, then he gives you his spirit. God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, enters into your spirit, which is eternal and invisible, and when God's spirit is living in your spirit, he, he not only wants to live in you, he wants to live through you. So Jesus said, right, we'll go back to what he, we, we were just saying, he goes like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I don't just wanna be with you, I wanna be in you and I wanna empower you. Check this out, could you imagine, so if I asked you like one-on-one, -on -one, we were having a conversation, I said, which would you rather have? Walk with Jesus, like physical Jesus, walk with him or have the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're like me, you're probably like, I wanna see Jesus. Like give me Jesus. They had Jesus and Jesus is talking to them and he's recorded by the author John, who in John chapter 16 said this, it is Jesus, it's quote, he's quoting Jesus and Jesus says, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's better for you that I leave. 
But you and I, we want Jesus physically here. Like we think it'd be better if Jesus lived 2,000 years and we could go visit him in like, you know, somewhere in Jerusalem. And maybe fly him over here and be like, hey, can you hang out with Lifehouse for a little while? At least prove that he's here among us. Um, Jesus said, no, it's better for you. It's good that I'm going away. Why? Because unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he goes, I have to leave because I'm with you, but I can't be in you. Okay, that makes sense. Jesus says, so okay, it's better if I leave, I go, and then the Holy Spirit comes. So that because he won't just stand next to you, he won't just be with you, he will be in you. And when you have God's Spirit in you, that's better than having Jesus with you. Whoa! That's, please don't miss this moment, okay? This is really important because some of you, you know, you're like me, you feel really human. And you've reached your limits and it's embarrassing. It's hard. You've reached your limits in sin, in shame. You've reached your limits in climbing. Some of you would have reached your limit just getting out of the car. You're like, that's it, tapped out. But you've reached your limits in the difference you can make in your home with your kids. You're walking through challenges and you've reached your limit. And what you, you and I need is that Jesus leaves to, go, to send the Holy Spirit. And so this is what Jesus did. He left to send us the Holy Spirit. And it's better that we have the Holy Spirit in us than if we have Jesus with us. So we have the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. It's a little challenging because there's two different camps when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, but just bear with me because most of you have had, you've heard something about the Holy Spirit. Some of you have heard him referred to as the Holy Ghost, which sounds really creepy and really weird because you, you imagine him like, ooh, you know, floating around with a little white sheet over him and you're like, eh. Um, so let's talk about it. So like, you have these two groups. One group, one uh, church, I don't really want to call it churches because you have people uh, who says they think the Holy Spirit's weird. He's like the crazy uncle. You kind of hope he doesn't show up at the family gathering. You hope that when you get together, he doesn't arrive. You kind of keep him at arm's length. You hope you, if he does show up, like, can you sit there and stay there and behave yourself and don't say stupid, crazy things and may embarrass the rest of us? Um, we, they, they see the Holy Spirit as like a problem. He, he, he's like the crazy uncle that like, you're not quite sure what weird thing he's gonna do. And so we just keep him far away. We believe that he's real. We believe that he exists. We just don't really wanna talk about him and we don't want him to show up and get too close to us. Because if he does, he might do something weird and that'll embarrass all of us. And then you have the other group that thinks the Holy Spirit's a little bit more like a Star Wars force, like the force be with you. And, and, and they get, everything that happens, like their, their leg falls asleep because they're sitting on an uncomfortable pew or chair and whatever campus you're at, or maybe not cinemas, because you guys are sitting in like crazy, awesome, the most common, sorry guys, but they have it awesome, right? Cinemas, I mean, you guys have like these super comfortable chairs, uh, which makes me always have to preach better when I'm there because I feel like you're gonna fall asleep on me. But your leg falls asleep and you're like, that's the Holy Spirit. He's touching my leg. And you're like, no, hold on, maybe not. Um, but they do weird things. They, they give credit to the Holy Spirit to do anything and everything. And you know, some hiccups in church and they're like, oh, they got touched by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, they blame the Holy Spirit for things. They have, a, they, they have bad pizza one night and they have a crazy thought and they say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me that. Like, I don't know. I saw this when I was in Bible college. You know, somebody would, oh, the Holy Spirit told me that I'm gonna marry you. They never met the girl before in their life. And she's like, yes, the Holy Spirit did tell you that. And then the next week they're dating somebody else. I'm like, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That, that's, that, there was some spirit going on there, but it wasn't God's spirit. And it might just be your hormones and you need to get that in check, 
All right, so I gotta keep moving because I, I wanna cover a couple key points here before I wrap this up. So let me, let me give you a couple things. So here's the moment. Jesus ascends to heaven. They're all waiting. They've experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They have a life of Jesus. Jesus breathed on them and they've received the Holy Spirit, but they need to take another step in being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the moment. It's Acts chapter two. Let me just read a little bit for you. When the day of Pentecost came, so this is 50 days after the Passover. So now Jesus, right, Jesus was crucified just before the Passover. He rose three days later. Now we're, now we're that many days. So this is 50 days after, after Jesus' death, okay? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, which is just like they saw little flames of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And uh, they're, right, like, you can read that and be like, wow. I mean, if, if right now, whatever campus you're at, if fire began to fall, somebody would probably pull the fire alarm. The rest of you would be running, but something clearly was going on that made them go, there is something unexplainable happening here. And so much so that as they, began to, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit's power, they began to speak in a way that they didn't even necessarily understand what they were saying. They, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And there, there's a principle here, and it's this. If we're going to live the unexplainable, then with unexplainable courage, then we have to first be empowered. Okay, you, meaning you need to receive power before you go out living in power. You don't go spending the credit card until you get handed the resources, right? You, you see the connection? Jesus said, um, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you go. I will be with you always. See, it's contingent on Jesus being with you always before, in order for you to go in power. So we need to receive power before we go out and live unexplainable power. Right? You with me so far? Does this make sense? And so the first thing I need to do is I need to receive power. Well, what did they do? They didn't earn it. It's not like they were like, they didn't, they weren't conjuring up spirits. They weren't doing seances, which we do, it's just evil stuff. Here's what they did. They prayed. They asked God's spirit to come on them. God showed up and they received. It's really that simple. Don't get all weird on me here. Follow me. You need power because you and I are limited. We're inadequate. We're human. I want something superhuman at work in my life. We live in a dangerous, difficult, challenging world. And we want to say, what's up, danger? But don't go saying, what's up, danger, unless you've got God's spirit in you, empowering you. You say, what's up, danger, without that, and you're pretty much like me, standing on the sub-dome, looking at the half-dome, going, uh-uh, I'm going back. But when you have God's spirit in you, he is empowering you to say, what's up, danger, and step into difficult, challenging circumstances and situations. So what does that mean to be empowered? Well, I told you the process. You believe, you pray, you receive, and then you walk in that power and that courage. But, but here's what God wants to do. He wants to, he want, his spirit's in you if you believe in Jesus by faith, but he wants to come out of you. So how does he come out of you? Well, okay, it can sound weird like a crazy uncle, but it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be flaky and bizarre. It's very, here's what God wants to do. He takes ordinary people. He puts his extraordinary spirit in you. He gives you extraordinary gifts to do extraordinary things in and around you. 
He wants to do extraordinary things in you. He wants to do extraordinary things through you. He wants to do extraordinary things in uh, the north end of Hagerstown. He wants to do the extraordinary things in Chambersburg. He wants to do extraordinary things in your home, in your marriage, in your kids' lives, in your workplace. And that way that's going to happen is God's spirit in you comes out of you. So he takes control of your life as you yield to him. And so could you imagine if you said, Holy Spirit, I give you control of my mouth. That's what they did back then. Suddenly they began to speak in a way they didn't fully understand. Look, there are times when I, what, I understand what I'm saying and I wish I had something better to say. There's plenty of sermons that I feel like that. And so I go, God, I, I'd rather not understand what I'm saying and you speak through me powerfully than to have me fully in control and it's inadequate. So you see the tension? I can do it in my own strength, but it's not enough. Or I can yield it to God, but not be fully in control. Meaning, and I don't mean out of control. I mean yielding control to God's spirit. And so would I allow him to take control of my life? Would I allow him to take control of my thinking? Would I allow him to take control of my faith, of, my, of the words that are in my thinking? This is why God's spirit comes on you and gives you gifts. So let me explain the gifts for a moment. Gifts of the spirit are this. They are tools given by the Holy Spirit to empower you to be unexplainable in the world around you. They are, they are not trophies to be displayed. They are to- tools to be deployed. If you are showing off the work of God and the, whole, and the gifts of God in your life, you are abusing the gifts of the Spirit in your life. They are not tokens and they are not trophies. They are tools to be deployed into battle. Really, most people around you should not see the Holy Spirit gifts in you except those that God is empowering you to make a difference in. And whether it's a word that you speak or love that you share or faith that you display, they are tools, not trophies. Okay, so now what? You receive the Holy Spirit. He's empowering you. What does he do with this? Well, let's jump back in. Here's what, here's what these guys had experienced in their life. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What was the point of the power? To be a witness. It wasn't to show off. It wasn't to be like, look how awesome I am. It was to go, look how awesome Jesus is. So he says, you will receive power and the spirit of God comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will share the love of Jesus with people far away from him. And so let's read a couple quick, a quick account of this. Um, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. They, they heard about what was going on in that room where the Holy Spirit was coming on them and people were speaking in other languages. They came together in bewilderment because each of them had heard his own language being spoken. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then he wraps up his teaching with this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. When the Holy Spirit showed up in power and they were empowered, they became a witness of Jesus and people's lives were changed. They let God's spirit in them become God's spirit through them and the world around them was changed. If they had only done that in their own human capacity, they had made no difference. But when they, when they yielded their life to the spirit, something supernatural began to happen. And so the challenge is this, you and I have to be willing to live with unexplainable courage as a witness. 
just be a witness. Let God's spirit do what God's spirit wants to do. In essence, what he wants to do is he wants to show off his strength, his love, his hope, his healing. He wants to show off the good news that he offers. And so your responsibility is to yield. Holy Spirit, I give my life to you, not just allowing you in me, but I'm gonna allow you to work through me. And your primary mission in being empowered is to let your mouth be open so you can be a witness. What do witnesses do? They tell people what they have seen and heard. Your mission as a witness is to open your mouth and tell those around you what you have seen and what you have heard, how your life has been changed by God through faith in Jesus. But that's gonna take boldness, right? Like you go to one of your coworkers over lunch and you start talking about your faith, you're scared. You reach the cables and you're like, nah, -uh, and you're gonna back down just like I did. That's my line. I'm not having any more conversation. But when the Holy Spirit comes in you and the Holy Spirit is on you and the Holy Spirit begins to speak through you, you yield your mouth to him and you begin to share your life change story and people are changed. They're impacted. You begin to share hope. You begin to share uh, God's love. You begin to share peace. You begin to share um, strength. You begin to share God's healing power. You, you offer to pray for someone who's sick. You better have courage from the Holy Spirit. You, 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 they tell you a story about one of their family members who's dying and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna pray with you right now. And you're scared to death. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. Here's what would happen if you and I actually truly believed in the person of the Holy Spirit. We would begin to pray with boldness and we would pray for boldness. We would pray with power and we would pray for power. We would be willing to yield our lives so that we would become agents of change, not waiting for God to change the world around us, but we would allow God to change the world through us. We would begin to open our mouths and open our lives and open our bank books and open our homes so that other people would be profoundly changed by the love of God and the power of God at work in us. We would yield our lives to the person of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit because we recognize that we are fully inadequate to the challenge. And so we would go, God, I need you and I need you alone and I can't do this on my own. I am ordinary, but I believe that you are extraordinary and you want to give me extraordinary gifts to do an extraordinary work. That's what we would begin to do if we believed in the person of the Holy Spirit. Can I challenge you? These guys believed in the personal Holy Spirit. They experienced the personal Holy Spirit. I know in my life, I not only believe in the Holy Spirit, but I have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And there's not a day that goes by that I would ever wanna get out of bed and do the work of God without the power of God. Don't you dare go out and try to be a witness for Jesus unless you've been empowered by his spirit. And so here's what that requires. First, if you're feeling very human right now, because there's some embarrassing moments, Maybe there's some shame. Maybe you've hit some limitations because of your own humanity. And your first step is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You make that your commitment right now. We want to cheer you on. We want to celebrate you. But don't stop there. There's many of you at part of Lifehouse Church. You believe in Jesus. You've, you've allowed Jesus to forgive you. He's given you new life. His spirit is in your spirit, but you're treating God's spirit like a caged animal. And, and you're, not, you're not allowing him to come out. Would you allow him to empower you right now? How? You're going to pray, receive, then go in God's power. You allow his gifts to work through you. So I want to take a moment at, at each of our campuses right now. 
would all of you just stand up with me? Just stand up. And, and you know, I just, we don't do this a lot this way. In fact, I'm just trying to be really personal with you right now. Can I invite you? Maybe this is one of those moments where you, it takes a little bit of surrender from you, a little bit of yielding. God, I'm willing to say, I'm scared because I'm a little nervous because sometimes I, I think the Holy Spirit's like a little crazy uncle. But I don't, of our campuses right now. Maybe a moment of surrender. Maybe just lift your hands. Here's what I want to do. I just want to pray over you. And we don't need flaky, fruity, bizarre things to happen. We need surrender. A yielding of our agenda to the agenda of God. But I assure you, as you lift your hands, there's something in your life that you need to surrender to God. There's a situation where you're looking up at a mountain and you're saying, that's bigger than me. I can't do this. And you need God's spirit in you to empower you to take that mountain. It might be an addiction. It might be a marriage issue. It might be a financial issue. Whatever that issue is. Right now, would you just, would you just raise your hands? Jesus, thank you that through your death and the power of the resurrection, we are forgiven and given new life. Thank you that you were wiser and you knew that if you left, it was good because only then would you send the Holy Spirit to come in us and then work through us. And so right now with hands raised, God, we surrender to you. We yield our mouths to speak what you want to speak. We yield our thoughts to think what you want to think. We yield our lives, our agendas, our attitudes, and we say, Holy Spirit, would you do in us what you want to do through us? Would you empower us to become change agents in the world around us, including in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, our, in our schools, in our colleges, in our campuses, in our workplaces? So we yield, we surrender, we give you all that we are, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable, because frankly, God, we realize we need to be a little uncomfortable to live in unexplainable courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.